I, I remember to this day, probably one of the single greatest moments I've had at NetPigs, where we were about to start the teleseminar, and you had a button where you can turn it on. Everybody can say hello. And I remember turning this thing on, and it was like an unbelievable sound of like over a thousand people all saying hello at once. You couldn't understand anybody, but you're like, holy crap. When I hit mute, I was like, this, this is going to work. You're listening to Deal Closers, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Jason Gillikin, and on the show today, Website Closers Isaac Porter and Brent Fisher chat with two serial entrepreneurs, Mark Soberman and Brian Short, who just sold a company that launched all the way back in 1996. Let's think about 1996 for a moment. Google didn't exist yet. Netscape was the number one browser, and Microsoft's Internet Explorer was a distant second. Internet connections were dial-up and had a max speed of about 30 kilobits per second. Most internet speeds are about 500 times faster now. I remember back in 1996 begging my parents to let me get a Hotmail email account and them saying no because no one gives away anything for free. It was a different world, and yet that's where Mark Soberman decided to try something by building NetPicks, which provides training tips and courses on how to make money in the market. Growing up, Mark was an entrepreneur from Go. Having a business was just uh, kind of like second nature. When I was in high school, I was uh, reselling uh, computer products, printers, computers, etc. Uh, I was hooking up with uh, computer distributors back then and was probably one of the early mail order people um, down in San Diego. So it was just always something that I gravitated towards. I was kind of on one track telling my parents that I wanted to be a doctor to make them happy and the other track knowing that was never going to be reality, um, and business is kind of what what spoke to me. Mark did have some quote-unquote real jobs after the travel agency. He worked at two tech startups, but he quickly figured out that wasn't his path either. But along the way, I kind of just realized that it probably wasn't for me. Um, I wasn't the best person at reporting to somebody. Um, wasn't the best person that kind of, you know, listened to what I thought were sometimes dumb ideas. So I kind of knew that ultimately, more than likely, I was going to have to do my my own thing. So in uh, like 1995 or so, I was at a technology company that had just, you know, gone public a few months before, was running their marketing department and started this business called Netpix. However, Netpix didn't originally start in the same niche that it's in now. Um, I had a great interest in uh, sports picking, sports gambling, which has become a huge industry now. I was always very early, unfortunately, on some things. But NetPix was originally a sports picking, sports handicap website. That's kind of how it started. In fact, I think years ago when we had a company conference, we got everybody together, we were able to find on the internet some of the early gyrations of, of the website, which is always kind of entertaining to see what it used to look like. But it kind of had the uh, the sports picking bent. That didn't last all that long. Um, I, I got out of that. You know, the, the bookie business is not really one for the duration. Let's just put it that way. So I love the name though, but I also had a, an interest in investing. Thought, hmm, NetPix, kind of a good name for something if I was going to get into this investing business. And at the time, there was, just, I think it was one other company out there uh, online that was offering any kind of analysis, any kind of picks. And I knew for me, I had spent about 10 years, 12 years trying to become a better investor. I had my first investments like in the mid 80s. I got super lucky on a couple options trades. And then I probably had like a 10 year struggle after that. The worst thing was I had success early, didn't know what I was doing, thought that I did. And then I spent you know 10 years trying to figure it out. And I got to a point where I was getting relatively decent. I was like, maybe there's an audience 
uh, for this. And again, this was back in the mid 90s. I mean, people were just starting to get online. Everybody had an AOL address if they were online. And a lot of our first customers, we delivered the picks via fax machines. So that's definitely to this day something that I do remember. So that's some of the early. That's awesome. So you're delivering these via fax. Like, how are people finding you then? Like, are they finding you online or are you marketing them some some other way? Yeah, it was online. The business was an online business from the start. Um, So I literally created this website with some template-based system out there. I can't exactly remember the the name of it. I think it was published by a company, Sarah Online. I, I forget the exact publishing packages that they put out. They were the video game company, but they got into, um, I guess, uh, website development at the time. So nothing like we have today. Uh, so yeah, I put it online. And the nice thing was there was not a lot of competition. So back then, even though the audience was much smaller, you didn't have competition. We weren't doing paid advertising. Everything was discovered via organic initially. So to be perfectly honest, the business then was easy um, because it was quite easy to get customers. You didn't have to be um, sophisticated. There was just no such thing as worrying about lead generation and grabbing an email and developing a relationship. You didn't have to do any of that. Basically, all you did was you offered a trial. Somebody took a trial. You set up your billing, basically your recurring billing. And by the way, that was quite difficult back then. Again, there wasn't like all the systems there are now. Originally, the only people doing recurring billing was the porn industry at the time. So we set up with net billing, which was the company that was doing all of the porn billing. And that was the industry that really kind of set the pace for online. That was kind of version one of NetPix. Three times a week, analysis, picks, um, done by me. It was a solo business at the time. I remember getting married and going on my honeymoon and I would do three updates a day. We were in Hawaii, so I'd wake up at two in the morning, six in the morning, and then at 10 in the morning. That was kind of what you did uh, in order to get these picks out for everybody. And then you sent the picks via fax to the people that want them via fax. I'd say about two thirds of the people initially were fax. And the other third, I was teaching them how to use the internet. So that was kind of how it started. So how did you establish credibility? How did you get to the point where you're like, I've got some juice here. Like people are are following along and and I'm giving them value. Yeah, it's a good question. The, The good part and the bad part about the business that we're in, you know, investment training, investment advice, is we're either going to be right or we're going to be wrong. There's really no in-between. So everybody measures us on the latest picks, the latest analysis, the latest thing, the latest system that we put out. Uh, And you are wrong a lot. No matter how good we are in this business, no matter how good we've gotten over the years, we're still wrong and have been wrong quite often. And that is the reality. And any investor who says that they're not or they rarely have a loss, it's a lie or they're doing something you know, that's just uncapped risk type of thing. So by giving somebody a trial, they would have like a two-week trial initially. They could see probably over time, like four, five, six picks and judge for themselves. If it was working or they saw potential, obviously they would continue. They'd pay the monthly fee. If it was not cancellation on the trial and off they went. Back then at the time, you know, the renewal rate was was pretty good. I mean, it was probably like 40 to 50%, probably 50% of the time would renew uh, and go on and take, you know, monthly subscription. Doesn't mean they would stay forever, but they would, you know, typically stay on average about six months back, six to eight months back at that time. So as a serial entrepreneur, you know, some of your businesses worked out okay. Some didn't really work out. I imagine none of them had the success that NetPix ended up having. What point were you like, oh shit, this is, I've got something here. This is something that I, I can actually grow. Yeah, it was probably um, 97 and I was still working, uh, and they were trying to downsize a little bit, and they offered some buyouts. 
Uh, and I think they offered like a six or eight month buyout. And at the time I was being paid quite well uh, to work there. I was working the Netflix business, you know, with my computer faced away from what anybody could see. So I was like, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to roll the dice. I won't have to use my boss key anymore and I'll take the buyout. If it works and I can sustain it, then I'll stay. If not, I'll go back into, you know, corporate world and in technology, which was perfectly fine at that time for me. But at that point, I already had enough customers. I felt that it could sustain uh, full-time. So I took the leap, basically, and, and went full-time. And at that point is when I started to learn more about, you know, this early business called, you know, internet marketing, which was just, at that point, was not really a thing. There was not a lot of experts or gurus. There was no YouTube channels. Um, there weren't a lot of places you can learn. Yeah. Um, and, and so did you start to see some traction on, you know, the advertising on Yahoo and any SEO success? And, and that's how you started marketing your business? Yeah, SEO was good. Um, and, and not because I was doing what you do now, which is developing a lot of content. Again, there just wasn't the level of competition. And Google was not sophisticated. So at that point, it's very easy to trick, right, the search engines, you know, pretty easy. You just did all the you did all the tactics and tricks. You didn't really try to build anything sustainable to where that actually came back to kind of bite us years later because the original version of the site had a lot of tricks and that's how it worked. At the point, it wasn't considered black hat. It was, it was how you did SEO. You know, nobody had this thought of let's write really good long form content. And, uh, you know, you started to do a little keyword research. You did that type of thing, but then all you did was stuff those keywords, right? It wasn't good content. It was just, again, to try to get that search, uh, search volume on Yahoo, especially at the time. And then of course, Google, started you know up and coming so i wanted to start to control things a little bit and that's kind of where paid advertising that started you know i started to realize you know how do you control your own destiny if you rely on google or yahoo even to this day you know you're basically that's a recipe for a disaster i think it can be one part of your channel one part of your lead gen but if it's all you rely on eventually it's you're, you're going to be gone so i kind of realized we had to start doing and when I say we, I mean me, me and my toothbrush, pretty much. That was the, uh, you know, the entire team. So uh, I had to do some PPC. Um, and that's kind of what I started doing back then. And I was doing PPC for a lot of affiliate stuff. I was kind of honing my skills, you know, doing uh, PPCs for stuff on ClickBank. Uh, you can make a lot of money back then doing it. So it wasn't just NetPix. Again, it was just finding opportunities. But I think learning how to write and learning how to market and learning how to you know, uh, appeal to people, you know, some of their needs. Those are all the skills that I kind of picked up over those first few years. Yeah. And so when did you expand beyond you and your toothbrush? <laughs> That's a good question. That was hard for me because again, I saw the company that I left basically implode. So to see a company that was the most successful in its industry that grew super fast that, you know, had locations all over big warehouses uh, and then all the people that I had hired eventually, you know, went on to work at, you know, all kinds of different places in technology, which was fun to watch even to this day. But to see that implode, I was really hesitant to bring anybody on to get any help. The most help that I would typically get at that point was an admin person, you know, somebody to help with the bookkeeping, somebody to help with cancellations or a little bit of customer service or that type of thing. I think really where it started, and Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, were you like number two? Or am I forgetting somebody? Uh, I think I was number two, yes. And then yeah. uh, Anthony came along. Yeah. So I, th I think that's kind of what happened. I started to develop some relationships and friendships with customers, with clients. You know, there were certain clients that um, I had that were just great people. I actually really look forward to talking to them. When you're doing this on an isolated island, it's kind of a lonely business. And, and investing is tough because, like I mentioned, you're wrong all the time. And your customers are on you about it. So it's a lot of pressure in this business. So we started to have some clients that, you know, really good, good to talk to, 
bounce ideas off of. Of course, there's always other clients that are the exact opposite of that. Thankfully, Brian was not that. And I think Brian approached me with, um, he had some ideas about some programming. He was a technical guy and he had some ideas about how we could or how I could possibly automate things a little bit more than I was doing in our conversations. And it sounded interesting. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and contract uh, with Brian. So that was kind of the first time of trying that, bringing somebody else in. And it was a client. And that ended up being really our recipe, I think, for success all these years. Because I would say 99% of the people that worked for NetPix that still work for NetPix were customers first. And the good news was trading is kind of, again, lonely, can be boring 90% of the day. A lot of these people want something else to do. We develop a relationship, and that's every single person that I hired thereafter uh, was a client. And I think it spoke to the customers that we were talking to in subsequent years when they knew that the people pitching and the people backing up the products were basically them just a few years later and after having some success. What a great testament to the to the effectiveness of, of the platform, right? When you've got yeah, customers. it was astonishing. It even helped during the, the process because people potential buyers were thought that was so amazing that you yeah. guys, you guys um, had really developed something special. And I don't know whether it was by design or just organically happened, but it was, that's a pretty awesome way to hire people. It, it made a huge difference. I mean, because most of our people to this day, you know, have been here 10, 15 years. It's rare that we've ever lost anybody um, other than maybe by our choice. We've had tremendous loyalty that way, which, which has been great. We were doing remote work before it was cool, you know, before COVID, we were doing all this. So we kind of built the business that way, gave our people nice flexibility. But at the same time, they got to be part of something a little bit bigger and they got to, you know, give back more, you know, with their skill set and then really monetize, you know, their their experience. So I, I think it's kind of the perfect combination. And anytime we needed to hire, in fact, we you know hired somebody somewhat recently, we would just send out an email and we would always get 50 to 100 people to apply. And I'm talking good people. I mean, it was hard always to pick the person because there was like five or 10 people I would be happy with. Yeah. Brian, let's go to you. Uh, I believe from your bio, you're a serial entrepreneur as well. Yes. Very similar story to Mark. Um, I started in corporate for three years. At the end of that three years, I knew I didn't want to do that ever again. So um, there was a family business in my past also. Uh, we owned a propane company. Uh, I'm a programmer uh, by trade. I started a computer consulting company that I ran for 20 years. And in 2004, I sold that company. And so at that point, uh, I was looking for something else to do. I didn't know what that next thing was. And I had subscribed to NetPix, the service at that point, and really liked what uh, was going on there and the picks and just that process. And uh, as Mark alluded to, um, I approached him and I said, hey, this was on a Forex signal service that he had at the time. It was issuing signals on the different currency pairs. I said, I can automate that and trade it automatically for customers. And we can sell that as a, as a combination package. And he liked that idea. And that was really our first project together, as he mentioned. And, uh, and then from there, we just formed a really good uh, relationship business-wise. And uh, he and I think a lot alike. And I think that helps uh, the process. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a fun journey over these last few years in, in, in that regard. Um, how did you get into online trading even before joining up with, with NetPix? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great story too. So um, this goes back to the 90s. Um, I've been a trader for as long as, I, as, as my working career. So this goes back to the days when your broker would call you up and give you the hot tip of the day. And in the 90s, we, we did, my, my business partner then, we did great. We were making six figures, seven figures in some years. 
And there was a 18 month period at the end of the nineties where we basically lost it all. Mm. I mean, they just drove us into the ground. And it was after that point, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of relying on somebody else. I want to rely on something that I can have control over something that gives me the edge in the market. And that's really how I got interested in trading. And uh, more specifically, we're, we're active uh, day traders and actually long-term traders too, a little bit of that. But uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my trading past. And now going forward as, as a actively involved in net picks, I call a live room every day. I have members come in and we look at the markets, we apply a strategy, we, navigate our way through the price action, good or bad every day. Like Mark said, some days don't work so well. In fact, today was one of those days. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of play the psychological coach, say, you know what, uh, you're going to have these days, but we, the two days prior were awesome. That's the process and how I got interested in, in trading. And uh, it's just been a fun journey. So what is the what does the model look like now? It's 26 years since the company started and you know you were giving tips back then and sending the the faxes um but now it's so much more than just tips it, from what I understand there's courses right and like there there's other things that are available. So what's what's the model for for Netflix now? Yeah, I mean one of the reasons I think we've stayed relevant this long because when you do it something like this for this many years, I've seen a lot of my competitors come and go. It's been a cycle of people that burst onto the scene, probably get quite a bit larger than us, and then they're gone. Uh, and there's like these five to seven year sort of cycles that we've had. Um, so I feel like I've been through about six of these you know, so far. Um, but that's meant that we've had to sort of reinvent ourselves multiple times. Like you mentioned in the beginning, doing picks three times a week. That was kind of how we started. Along the way, we did get into courses, and that was probably one of the big transformations in the business. Uh, and that actually came from that idea at the time because it was still kind of new. It's not new anymore. Now it seems like it's every day. You know, courseware is is very common. Uh, but uh, I had purchased a um, consulting program with uh, Perry Marshall. You know, he's kind of one of the the old guys out there that has been. Uh, promoting, you know, PPC and courses and things forever. And I remember it was like 12,000 bucks. It was a lot. And it was like myself and I think somebody else that I had in my team at the time. And we would just do these, you know, these calls, uh, these weekly calls. And I honestly thought it was a total waste of time. I felt I had spent 12,000 bucks. It was a complete waste um, because we covered a lot of different things. None of it I really thought applied. But the one idea that he gave us was you need to get into, you need to release a course. Um, and we're like, okay, seems like a decent idea. We'll give it a shot. That's kind of when we started to transform. I don't really remember the exact year this was, but we developed our first course. Brian, you may remember, it was Ultimate Trading Machine. This was yep, course number I one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was $997. And we followed everything Perry Marshall taught. And again, I was still thinking, I think the guy ripped me off. But we, we did everything. You know, We followed everything. We invited people to not a webinar, because back then there weren't really webinars. We did a teleseminar. I, I remember to this day, probably one of the single greatest moments I've had at NetPix, where we we're about to start the teleseminar and you had a button where you can turn it on and we could, you know, everybody could say hello. And I remember turning this thing on and it was like an unbelievable sound of like over a thousand people. I don't know how many people were on there all saying hello at once. You couldn't understand anybody, but you're like, holy crap. When <laughs> I hit mute, I was like, this, this is going to work. So we sold over a thousand units uh, of ultimate trading machine um, within I mean, a lot of that in the first launch, but certainly within the first 60 days or so. So for us, it was the first million dollar launch 
that we had. Obviously, my investment for twelve thousand bucks to Perry Marshall had what a very a nice ROI. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. I asked for a refund. He said no, no, but it was clearly worth it. And that's really where I learned, and I started attending conferences. That you don't need to get a ton of great ideas. You just need to get one great idea out of that. If you just get a thought back in the hotel room after going to a conference that you can run with, that justifies the entire effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it sort of changed my thinking on you know one testing because you just never know. Uh, and two, realizing you don't need a lot of great ideas when you start to learn how this machine works with lead generation and developing your lifetime value. Um, so that's kind of where it started. That was the start of the course side of the business. Uh, and we really followed that path for quite a few years. But we started to realize, and this is more in the last few years, that people start to cycle back and they don't want to spend a lot of time learning. They think they do. They want to buy the course. Because originally, the big thing when you would deliver a course, it would come in a big box it would have 10 DVDs. It would have to make a thud at their doorstep. That's what everybody wanted. You can't just deliver 60 minutes of video. It wasn't worth a thousand bucks. It has to weigh a lot to be worth that money. So that's what we did. You know, We delivered big books and DVDs and printed everything. That obviously all changed. People really didn't want to consume that. They weren't consuming that. So we've gravitated now toward more of a hybrid approach, which is, yeah, there's training, but it's all obviously typically online. Nothing is delivered, of course, in the mail anymore. It's brief, it's to the point, uh, and a lot of it now is done for you. So we'll show you how to do it. We realize nine out of 10 of you won't do it. So for the nine out of 10, we'll also provide the alert. So it's kind of interesting because we've almost gone full circle doing what we did in day one in 1996. We provide all that, but we provide a lot more of the background, sort of the insurance policy for people like, okay, what if we stop tomorrow? You'll be okay because you also have our training can also do it yourself. So it's kind of that combination of the two is where the business evolved to throughout these years. Gotcha. Let's go to the website, closers.com guys. Um, Brent, when did you first become aware of, uh, of net picks? Um, I think we just had an initial, I, get, I think you guys made an inquiry. Um, I can't remember how you ultimately got to us. I remember our first conversation. Um, yeah, I had, um, I had, I think I bought another website through Website Closers and had had a good experience with you guys. I had seen that you had recently closed a deal or two in our space. And I think I told you that in the beginning, I always felt the buyer should and needs to be somebody in our niche. It, it's not mandatory, but I just felt it would be the best, you know, overall best for us, best for my team and best for the buyer. So I, I felt like there was a good chance you still had some people, you know, in your database that maybe missed out on those other opportunities. So that's why I put the inquiry in. So Mark, what were what were was going through your head at that time? Then when do you when did you start to think like, you know, what things are going well, but maybe it's time, maybe it's time to to sell the business. Yeah, we had looked at this about ten years ago, um, and we had actually hired a broker at that time, and we had a significant offer. Um, at that time, and it was, um, I forget the exact structure of the firm that was the, the main company that was looking to acquire us. It was, it was called something different. It was basically some sort of um, venture capital type of firm, but they weren't in our niche. And one of the big requirements that they had was myself and Brian had to stay on in a management day-to-day role. And we had to retain a certain percentage of the company. And ultimately, I mean, we struggled with the decision because it was a good offer, but I didn't know these people and I didn't really know their experience, even in internet marketing at the time. And I was just concerned of that being kind of my new, yeah, my new boss in a way, but also the people that we were going to have to work with. So we basically ended up just turning it down ultimately because we either at that point wanted to unload it completely to somebody. We just weren't comfortable 
with somebody without kind of the knowledge base uh, overall. So, you know, obviously years go by on occasion, I would, you know, get emails, I would see somebody in my niche, you know, listed for sale. It's always a curiosity. Sometimes we would acquire some of those companies. We acquired probably six or seven companies uh, along the way, obviously much smaller than us, but it was a way for us to get additional content sites, additional customer bases. Um, it worked very well for us. That was one of our main marketing strategies, I would say probably five to 10 years ago, we, we probably did a dozen different you know acquisitions, um, all smaller at the time, just to get customer databases, get products, things of that nature. So I was always kind of tapped into that side of it, but we ended up over the last few years having a really good run. You know, the business was growing, we're quite lean. Um, we have a very small team, a great team, but we have a super high margin as a result. So it just sort of felt like, you know what, if we're going to attract somebody, this would be a good time. We could show them that we got through COVID amazingly well. We know that we've been through down market cycles before. We have that success. So that's not really a big concern. If we get a recession, yeah, sure. It's going to be a little bit of a reshifting a bit, but it's not going to really hurt the business. So the timing seemed somewhat ideal. Brent, um, Mark brings up an interesting point about whether or not a seller will go end up working for the buyer. I mean, you see both sides, obviously. How do, you, how do you buyers and sellers evaluate whether or not the seller is going to continue to work for the buyer? Yeah, in my experience, they, they know pretty fast. And in this particular case, um, kind of the very first call, I, I sensed a pretty good synergy between the two. And, and I think it's because the industry is such a niche industry and they just both spoke the language really well. This buyer and seller get to know each other pretty well over the few months it takes to close. And I think um, they, they kind of, uh, it's like, am I going to be married to this person for the next uh, however many years? And, you know, they, they know pretty well. And I think, I hope in this case that I, I think that you guys are getting along. Yeah, I mean, we, um, I, I think you're right. The first call, um, there was just great synergy. Yes, it definitely helped that they were in our niche. We had other conversations with people in our niche as well. That was interesting, but it didn't have the same chemistry overall. Um, it was appealing because they were, they understood our industry and we knew that they could probably be successful, but uh, the, the, the two guys in particular that ended up acquiring, you know, Netpix, it was just, you could tell we, we were all the kind of people who probably would work together and would choose to be business partners with each other. Um, we just kind of all sort of thought alike. We ran our businesses very much the same way. A lot of our philosophies were the same. So it helps to have that synergy because, you know, when you do this, there's a lot of trust. I mean, the buyer is putting a lot of trust in us. You know, one, when the deal closes that we're going to be there for them. You know, whether we're working for them or not, I mean, that transitionary period is essential and it's scary for a buyer because they don't know for sure that you're going to be around. And then for us as a seller, you know, there may be aspects of the deal, some financing, some, you know, some earnouts, some, some loans. We have to have trust in them as well, not to screw things up. You know, it seems that this business is all about the recurring revenue and you've got a track record of retaining your members Isaac, I mean, that had to be super attractive to a potential buyer. Yeah. One of the things that I really loved about this business when we first met Mark and Brian, there were, there were several things, but Brian, uh, Mark mentioned the, the uh, margin profile. So this business got an 82% gross margin, uh, just very profitable, really well-managed business, long-term track record, 57% uh, recurring revenue rate you know, all these metrics that we know buyers love and really value because it makes the cash flow of the business very predictable. 
And that's ultimately what what buyers are looking for is predictability of cash flows that they're paying a multiple on. So we, we were really excited about the listing. On the other hand, it's a super technical business. It takes a very specialized buyer with a high degree of knowledge. So we knew we were going to have to really have, you know, kind of the the rifle approach to finding a buyer as opposed to a shotgun approach. We wanted to hone in on buyers that, you know, were excited about the profitability of the business, but had the the capability to actually execute and run this business, which is a small pool of potential buyers. Like Mark said, we had several transactions that we had recently executed on other companies kind of in the same category, um, although they didn't have the financial profile that that NetPicks had. So we knew there were buyers out there for these kind of businesses. We knew that it could potentially be hard to find the perfect buyer, but we basically knew what we were going to be looking for. And so, you know, we, we were excited about the, about the, about the company and about the opportunity and about the potential that it could, that it could give to a buyer, um, right, right off the, right off the, I guess, right after the first, the first call we had. So what happens then after you have the initial call and the, um, the buyer's like, yeah, this, this sounds amazing. I I think we want to continue to evaluate it. Well, one thing I'll I'll say, and Brent and I were having a conversation about this uh, just yesterday. The, the the quality of financial reporting that um, that our clients have is so indicative of how successful we're going to be to get through the transaction because because buyers really are going to rely on that. And and Mark and Brian had great financials. The you know when, when we kind of when buyers every buyer does does diligence and kind of goes through the financial diligence process. When a buyer does that and then everything matches up like they're expecting, that gives them a lot of confidence. And that and that was the case here where they asked for a lot of information, but there was never any discrepancy that anybody got concerned with. Conversely, when we sell companies that haven't kind of gone into the transaction well prepared with good quality financial statements, it creates it creates a lot of work during due diligence. And that can that can be scary for a buyer. If the discrepancies that are found are legitimate and can be answered. Just having them and kind of going through those processes can, it can be fatiguing for both the buyer and the seller, and it can it can cause a lack of confidence. You know, I think you guys did a great job of having clean financials. I think we had a number of addbacks that we had represented, but we've got we had all the supporting documentation for that. Um, we had good records. I think the the buyers did their homework on it, but they did a great job of kind of producing that documentation and the answers as we went through. Yeah, and to Mark and Brian's credit, it was always a very quick turnaround on any information to ask. And so it made the process really, really great. So what can you share about the ultimate transaction um, in terms of numbers, in terms of how long you have to not have to, how long you're staying with the company? What can you share? Yeah. So um, we did end up at the high end of the asking range. Um, I guess I'll let Fred and Isaac speak to that a little bit, um, but we we did get what we were looking for as far as the multiple goes. Uh, that was important to us, like I mentioned, because we were fully ready to walk away from the process and continue doing what we were doing. So we felt like if we could get at this multiple, then, and the right buyer, we, we can go ahead and, and make the sale happen. So we definitely achieved that. Website closers definitely brought us the right buyer at the right multiple. Um, we did have to negotiate on terms. Um, so there is some consulting arrangements that were made uh, for after the sale. There is a note as well. Um, and this will kind of stretch on for up to five years. But the bulk of it was upfront, was cash. And that was important to us as well. We were okay with providing 
some financing. I think that's understandable and what people want, especially to feel confident about this size of a deal. But we also wanted to make sure that the bulk, let's say 80% or more, was going to be cash up front, and then we were happy to finance some aspects of it. Another thing that was important from the buyer's perspective is they wanted myself, Brian, and one other partner to stay on with the business, at least for some time and maybe a long time. So we did negotiate that separately, have you know some separate arrangements, basically. And I think each one of us uh, more than happy to do that in some different roles. And my, my situation, just in a bit more of a reduced capacity role, that was part of the reason to sell. So I have time to do some other things. And so I was able to negotiate that and they can keep me on as long as they want if I'm providing value. Uh, and if not, it's okay too. So that was sort of what we negotiated. So that also makes the transition you know, kind of nice because it is a little scary when you you sort of sell a cash machine like this. I mean, that's the one thing I've noticed since I've sold. Uh, I think I've mentioned this to Brian is like sometimes like you're, I don't know, I'm, I'm flying uh, recently and, you know, to go by the uh, the internet on, on the plane for the 40 or 50 bucks, you don't even think twice about it when you have this cash machine. When you've sold your business, you don't have the cash machine anymore. Like, huh, okay, it's 40, 50 bucks. Do I really need the internet? So you start to have these, you know, little decisions about things that I, I never thought twice about any of this stuff before. Um, so it is nice to sort of have a bit of this recurring a bit of these payouts over time, you know, it gets you, it gives you a bit of a soft landing as you start to figure out what, you know, the next opportunity uh, is going to be. All right, Brian and Mark, I'll get you out of here on these uh, last two questions. Um, so when you sold the business, you got a little bit of cash, Brian, what was, how did you celebrate? What, what was a, a purchase that you made? <laughs> That's funny. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. That's exciting. Um, you, you know, <laughs> My wife asked me the same thing. Are you going to go out and get a new car? The answer is no. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's cash. And uh, as a serial entrepreneur, and Mark and I are having these conversations. In fact, we have a call right after this. What do we do to deploy the cash to continue making money? That's how I look at it. So it's not like we got all this cash and we're going to go out and party. So that's the reason for my answer, straight up. So yeah, for me, it's all about what can I do to, to make some more money? And who knows? Maybe we'll... Uh, get with website closers and see if they've got a smaller web business that uh, we can partake in. Always, always a serial entrepreneur. Uh, Mark, what about you? Did you, did you buy anything or you're just like, no, let me find the next business. Took the private jet to Vegas. That was the first thing I did. Lost it all. And uh, yeah. And now I got to work for Brian. So uh, Mark, Mark said one of the funniest things via text. I, I don't think we were waiting. We were, the day we closed, we were waiting on the wire transfer or something. I said, have you got the wire yet? And he tops back, no, standing by at the blackjack table. <laughs> I kept canceling the jet. It was on. It yeah, was off. I'm it was canceling on, it was the off. jet and have yeah. to re-ice the champagne. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, um, no, for me, Brian's exactly right. I I, um, I don't know. I already have a good life. So I'm just kind of continuing doing that. I've done some travels, but I was doing travels before throughout this whole, this whole deal I was traveling. So just kind of continued with that. The fun part now has been figuring out how to deploy the capital. You know, we want to have some passive income as well. So figuring out where we can deploy the capital, where it's passive, and then obviously save some of the capital for something that is, you know, that's not passive, um, that's going to have some good cash flow. So that's exactly right. It may be something from website closers. It will absolutely be something online. So yeah, no real exciting big purchases, but, you know, I think kind of like Brian, I've, I've got really what I need at this point. It's just a matter of, um, you know, finding some of those opportunities. So, you know, a little bit in real estate, there's been some things that we've already made some moves on. Awesome. Always looking for the next thing. Yep. Well, guys, thank you so, so much for, for sharing your story. Uh, Brian, how can how can listeners connect with you? Uh, you can email me at uh, brian at netpix.com. Cool. Mark? 
Uh, I am, uh, what am I? I'm Mark Gass at netpix.com. So I'm still there. All right. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate the time today. What a great story. And uh, I can't wait to see what you build next. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thanks so much. All right. That was Mark Silverman and Brian Short. I can't wait to see what they come up with next. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, or share with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jason Gillikin, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast. Mm-hmm.